What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court for today, Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. I am your host, Sean Murphy, alongside my guys, Jeff Ifrady. Jeff, what it do, baby? Good to see you as always. Got the hair back. New month. Yes. Hey, new Rome month, wasn't built in a day. All right. Rome wasn't built in a day. All right. We, we got some time to we got some time to work on it. But you know what? I'm I'm doing good. I'm happy. I got my pistons, my pistons shirt on. We got Jack here. I'm excited to talk some pistons basketball, man. Yeah, 100 percent Also here, my guy Troy Sergi. Troy, good to see you as always, my friend. I'm so jealous of you because we, we've talked about this before on the pod. But for those that don't know, Troy, you live in Indianapolis about what, like 10 minutes from the arena? Yeah. And you therefore, since the Pacers are, you know, the Pacers, they're not very good and tickets are not very expensive. So, Troy, who did you get to go see last week? I got to see the defending Eastern Conference champion, Boston Celtics. It was a great game in overtime. Pacers lost, Celtics won. Uh, Jason Tatum went off for over 30. Tyrese Halliburton um, had over 30. Miles Turner had a 40 piece. Uh, it was a great game. It was awesome to see guys like Malcolm Brogdon, obviously Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, uh, Derek White. It was just awesome. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Mass Jalen Brown. And, uh, yeah. and Troy, was that the game Miles Turner hit like eight threes? Yeah, yeah. And how much was yeah. your ticket? Uh, 22 bucks, a, a little more pricey than normal. Go yourself. Anyway, bucks. also joining us <laughs> is my guy and also now my teammate, Jack Mother <laughs> Ellie. Jack, my guy. So good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. It, because you know, with 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 you being in Australia, you know, the, there's a little bit of a time difference. So I, I appreciate you accommodating, man. Seriously, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, of course, guys. You know how much I love your guys' content. So, um, yeah, excited to talk some Pistons. We're now in the final stretch, I guess, of the tank race. Um, close to draft season so uh yeah 20 or so games to go and i'm keen to chat about it yeah man tank the tank brigade is on and it is real jack i am telling you and you know it, it, and like i did like i did just say and allude to a second ago we are now teammates we both work together at detroit bad boys and you know it's kind of a cool full full circle little thing man i'm i'm really excited for it really excited to have you on the pod and you know, we're going to be having you on a whole lot more often now, man. And it's going to be a great time. We have a lot to talk about and dive into, you know, especially now. And I figured, well, who better to bring in than my guy, Jack. So, you know, really great, that really grateful that you're here and really grateful to everyone tuning in. Be sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, make sure you share with your friends and join in the conversation in the comment section down below. But also be sure you follow all my guys here on social media. You can follow my guy, Jeff at Jeff. I my guy Troy at Troy Sergi 44 and you can find Jack on Twitter at Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313. But Jack, you make content more than Twitter. Where else can people find you? Uh, man, yeah, you can just obviously Twitter and obviously just over at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. I'm um, normally putting out a couple articles a week. So, uh, yeah, just go to my bio. There's a link to all my work. And, um, yeah, that's really it for the moment. Yeah, he's doing a lot of good stuff on TikTok, too. Be sure you follow him on there as well. But anyway, guys. <laughs> That's for the plug. <laughs> hey, I got you. I'm like, hey, I gave it. you the platform. <laughs> I'm like, you're being gracious. I'm going to do it for you, my guy. But anyway, uh, guys, <laughs> speaking, speaking of the plug, 
the Pistons have seemingly pulled it on this season. And as we are going down the stretch, you know, as you were, as we're recording, the Pistons are currently down 18 to the Hornets in the second corner. And I'm not saying that they're losing this game on purpose, but what I would say is that it wouldn't hurt the Pistons to lose this game because of the fact that it would essentially put the Hornets five games out of reach of the third best lottery odds. So it would essentially guarantee the Pistons having some of the best odds in the lottery this season. So I'm not saying they're deliberately losing because I don't think this team is a, is a we're trying to tank on a given night to night basis. But I will say with Jalen Duran's injury, I'm sure they're being way more conservative than they would be normally. I'm sure with Isaiah Stewart's injury, it's the exact same thing with Bojan. We didn't even know there was an injury to begin with. So, you know, like it's almost like a, you know, well, better be safe than sorry. You know, Jaden Ivey has a personal thing. Well, this is a pretty good game to have a personal thing and to not be available for it. You know, so I, I just kind of want to, you know, like get to, you know, I, I even wrote about this a little bit in a game recap article I did in the, over the weekend where like, you know, the Pistons really do have a complex task to close the season because on one hand, you don't necessarily want to be winning a lot of games, but on the other hand, you don't want to see this team's pride diminish. You want to like see momentum built too. So Jack, I'll start with you. What do you want to see going down the stretch this season? Are you okay with the Pistons, you know, like potentially like, you know, with this game, like purposely sitting out players to better their chances of the lottery odds and, you know, are there specific players that you're looking at and are excited to watch going down the stretch? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, it's just figuring out what talent on this roster, like how does it position going forward? So the big thing with the Wiseman trade, at least for me, was I don't, James James Wiseman, the player, I'm fine with bringing in, but obviously it sort of created a log jam at the 4-5 position. So I think it's trying to figure out how does Marvin Bagley fit alongside Jalen Duran? Can Wiseman play spot minutes alongside Duran? Trying to figure out how that rotation looks heading into next season. That's why when you say, what are you happy with players sitting out? I want to see the young guys playing as much as possible because I want to see how they can all coexist. Like, can Killian Hayes refine? Like, was that a fluke? I don't believe it was a fluke, that November, December stretch, but... I don't know. He's had a rough, rough few weeks since um, the team traveled to France. Just trying to figure out, well, yeah, what have we got? Continuing to see Jaden Ivey um, advance as a playmaker. Um, hopefully, Jalen Duran can get healthy because we need to see him alongside all those bigs I just mentioned. So um, I'm fine with players like Bogdanovich resting. Um, he was due for a rest. He's actually had two of his worst games of the season the past two. So um, I think they noted Achilles soreness or something like that. I've which, seen... by, which, by the way, I saw people going, oh, man, the Pistons should have traded him. We're, we're yeah. so screwed. I'm like, guys, it's two games at the, yeah. at the, at, at the tail end of the season, the, like just the beginning of the – like at the end of the All-Star break. Like guys are rusty. That happens. How do you forget of the first 55 games after two bad yeah. games? I, I know! Get it. Exactly yeah. true. Like, I can't – like, Bogdanovich, yes, it has some frustrating moments, but he has been so goddamn good. Like, I can't – yeah, he has been 
massive for this team. He's driven this offense night in, night out. He's been there when guys like Jaden don't have it, Killian doesn't have it. He's the one guy you can rely on. So, And if yeah. this team, just with the Bogdanovich trade stuff, if this team's actually going to look to win games next year, you can't do it without veterans. There's no yeah. way, even if they get Wembenyama, if you just go into that season with first, second, third-year players, I don't see this team getting any higher than a 10th seed, even with the lead from Kate. Like, yeah. I don't know. That could be slightly wrong, but... Yeah, for me, just to round out the thing, it's just seeing figuring out what pieces on this roster can contribute next season and in what role. Right. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that aligns with pretty well with the point that I made before the deadline, even as well, like as we're kind of winding down the season, we talked about which players are good basketball players and which players are Detroit Pistons. Like we all talked about, you know, like even after the deadline, we all love, you know, Sadiq Bay and everything that, you know, he brought and especially who he was as a rookie, but as things developed and as, you know, as time went on, obviously we saw, you know, like his development change, you know, his, you know, his, his priorities, you know, change in the development of his game and the, in Detroit wanted something a little bit different. I think obviously you've even seen, even though it's only been, you know, about three games since the trade, like Isaiah livers, when he's been in the lineup has been super valuable in that role, you know, like Sadiq Bay is a really good basketball player, but Isaiah livers looks like a Detroit piston. You know what I mean? And I would say even like with the Boyan thing too, like really quickly as well. Like I think a lot of times fans get frustrated when Boyan tries to like, you know, like do, do a little too much in the offensive end. And I would say, yeah, there's definitely certain, there's certainly times where Boyan maybe tries to, you know, like play hero a little bit too much, but I would say, especially with, you know, the, with the amount of, you know, inconsistency we've had in the lineups this season, and also just some of the slumps that players have had offensively. I mean, for lack of better terms, sometimes Bullion's just had to take chicken and turn it into chicken salad. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just the reality of it. So I think when you're like a guy like Bojan Bogdanovich who, you know, has such a deep bag and is doing so much and you can only do so much and it's like, all right, I put up I'm putting up like 24, but we're still down by 15. I got to start trying to really pull some stuff deep if we want to get in this game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, obviously watching this game right now against Charlotte, I know, I know a lot of people are, you know, watching it and I know it brings up a lot of, you know, bad memories and thoughts of all the losses we've had to the Charlotte Hornets over the years. I know it's rough to see another double digit loss in a season this season that's been filled with double digit losses. But I mean, yet again, it's not like we don't see the lights at the end of the tunnel or the, or the bigger things in the picture. So where's your head at right now, Jeff Iafredi, with that beautiful head of hair that's on top? <laughs> I think Jack nailed it, and it's it's been something that I've been echoing. We've all been echoing for a couple weeks now is what do you want to see post-All-Star break? Well, I want to see who's good, who's a good basketball player, who's not, who's staying here long-term. And you've seen Troy now take on kind of reclamation projects like a James Wiseman, RJ Hampton. I mean, these guys you want to see if they have anything to contribute. Do, do these guys have a future here? And, and even post-Sadiq Bay trade, I mean, that's 15 points per game. That's 10 to 15 shots that open up for other guys. And you're seeing the, you know, the, the effect of that as well. Ivy had one of his better games of the season right after the Sadiq was traded. And now you're seeing you brought up Isaiah Livers. Perfect example. A guy that, you know, was kind of hurting a little bit, taking a backseat with Sadiq Bay, now gets elevated, gets more, you know, playing time, gets more of an opportunity with him now gone. 
that even for Wiseman, I mean, to open up playing minutes for him to, to now with Duran's injury to be playing a lot more. I mean, this is really about player development. I think on top yeah. of that, the casual fan, I think you could say being more competitive because I don't know how long people can, you know, I think they've already quit on the season, but sit through some of these ugly losses. You want to see them be competitive, but I'm not going to go as far as to say I want them to win. I think we all understand what the big picture here is, and it's losing and trying to, to get the best odds of that number one overall pick. That's why the game tonight against Charlotte, I mean, the Boyan being out, Duran being out, Jay Nivey being out, I'm just sitting there going, okay, I actually like it. I don't mind it. Boyan, to me, we know what he is. Like the rest of the season is trying to figure out more of the guys you don't know what they're giving you. Like Bojan, Alec Burks, I know what those guys are. Like, but again, you want consistency in the rotation. You want those guys playing, like Jack said. But at the same time, I'm not going to be mad if Bojan sits because look at how many more shots that opens up for other guys. So again, the big thing to me is just player development. I think I think Jack kind of nailed it, um, and that's got to be the big picture. Obviously, being competitive would be a bonus. But at the end of the day, you you got to find out who's going to be here long term because once free agency approaches and you have all that money to spend, you need to know who you're replacing by the end of the season. So getting a more uh, being more clear or being more clear headed with with what this rotation looks like next year, I, I would say is the number one thing. Right. And, you know, we talk all the time, like, you know, a lot of people think that player development or, you know, teams developing is just continuing to you know, win more and more and more, which yes, absolutely. Like you want to see an upward trajectory in that column, but you know, first of all, when you look at the, you know, obviously when you look at the context of this season with it, without Cade Cunningham, that's just not, you know, humanly possible. So when you are, when, when you are in this situation, when fit has hit the Shan, you know, what do you do? What changes do you make? Like, you know, like how do you approach it? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I, 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 I go back and I keep referencing and we'll talk about, we're going to talk about this team more later, but like, you know, the Houston Rockets and the differences of, of a situation where, you know, you have an organization and a locker room and a culture that is in place. You have a coach that understands player development that has built programs. That is one of the best program builders in the NBA. You can say what you will about his in game adjustments, but he knows how to build a culture and keep young guys invested and focused. There hasn't been a single peep of any of those issues in Detroit. The only time I can think of a player outburst in the last three years was Hamadou Diallo in Cleveland. And you could even make the argument that that was a defining moment in Hamadou's career. And he's been a much better player since that moment, which by the way, which by the way, Hamadou Diallo, some of the stuff he's been doing in the mid range of late, like I, like if he can do that on a consistent basis, like, I mean, we need guys who can shoot the three, you know, I'm not sure how inherently valuable it is having, you know, like having like I have like having like 12 guys who all work in the mid range. But like at the same time, if he can if he can consistently like put in a bucket and do do what he's doing on the defensive end as well, that's value. Is it not? Right. Certainly. And anyway, I think I enjoy seeing more minutes in his uh, in his table uh, the past couple stretches. And I, I think for me that that trio of Killian Hayes, Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman for me moving forward for the rest of the season is going to be really fun to watch uh, because, again, yeah. uh, we get to see where Marvin Bagley is at. And I'm sure later on in the pod, we'll talk about Marvin Bagley's production the past couple of games. But for me, it's exciting to know that I think he definitely has a, a hunger to him. I, I think he has uh, some excitement to get back on the floor and to produce uh, good minutes. And Wiseman, too. I mean, he's a guy that hasn't played a ton of NBA minutes, uh, if you think about it. He's played a ton of G League minutes, right, in the Warriors system this past season. Um, So just to get him more used to the NBA game as well, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see the improvement from even right here this last 
week of February to the last game of the season in mid-April is going to be fun. And Killian, uh, Jack and Jeff already touched on him, but uh, kind of his future as a Detroit Piston in, in a lot of ways. And uh, I miss the November, December Killian, uh, but uh, certainly more minutes in, and more, more times with the ball in his hands. It's going to be interesting uh, how the season finishes with him. And do, and do you think, by the way, like, do you think, like, do you think the difference has been that's that switch and that prioritization of having Jaden Ivy be that primary ball handler. Because when, because for, for a little bit, when Killian was successful, he was kind of the one that was in that, that Cade esque role, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, really over the last month or so, they've, you know, really put Jaden Ivy in that spot and Jaden Ivy thrived right. and Killian Hayes has kind of gone the other direction. Do you think that, do you think that might have something to do with it? What are your guys' thoughts? You go try first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think definitely a little bit. You talk about touches, you talk about roles um, on a team, and I think that really dictates a lot of how, how a player plays, especially at this league. Um, and Dwayne Casey is going to be no uh, not shy at all in, in letting players know their roles and, and what he wants for production out of them. So, and he's a guy that seems like a fragile player as it is. That's not an insult at all. I just think sometimes, as we saw just even in year two last year and the start of this season too, I think – uh, Killian, in a lot of ways, is his own worst enemy. So to have the ball out of his hands a little more often might might diminish some confidence there. Uh, but, I mean, to give Dwayne Casey credit, I mean, the Pistons have been playing better and the team has ex been excelling more with I Ivy having – or the ball being in Ivy's hands. And I just think Ivy is a natural playmaker. He's a score-first guard anyways. Um, I, I have no problems with it, but I just hope Killian can understand his role with it. Right. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, it's not really about whether or not killing can understand it. I mean, he's going to have to understand it, whether he likes it or not. But I mean, you know, Jack, you know, like, do you yeah. do you think it has been that like switch in the role? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on like, you know, like what his future could be? Because as much as we all love killing and everything you can bring on the defensive end, like that's a great base. And I would love to see, you know, if he can like if he can potentially blossom. But at the same time, it's not like there aren't better, you know, p p potential backup point guards out on the market. Right. Yeah, the thing with Killian is his shots just completely deserted him. Like, I, I haven't looked at the percentages, but the one thing he was doing well as a scorer in those couple of months was he was getting to that little mid-range shot and just shooting it with so much confidence. And the three balls sort of went up and down, but he was still making, like, catch-and-shoot shots. So maybe you could say that his confidence might have taken a hit with the shift in role and that sort of bared itself out and maybe him losing confidence within his jumper or being more hesitant because he's worried now he could be pulled. I mean, I guess he's starting again, but maybe. But I honestly just think it's his shots just deserted him completely. Like, he can't hit a shot. Um, he still does all those other things, those Killian Hayes things, um, to a high level. But ultimately, like you sort of said, Sean, like, for Killian long term with the Pistons of course it will be in a backup role so he needs to find a way to excel um, that's why I wouldn't mind seeing Killian go back to the bench um, mm -hmm. because I mean it sort of leads into how we opened the pod um, with what we'd like to see towards the end of the season and players putting out their roles long term if Killian's on the Pistons long term it's going to be as a backup point guard so yeah um, yeah, hopefully in the next 20 games he can figure it out, um, stay healthy, and get that shot falling again. Yeah, and, and it's not to say it's because of the play of Jaden Ivey, 
but it's because of the play of Jaden. I mean, listen, like he's just shown, I think what he's shown over the last few months as a playmaker, I think we all were high on his playmaking potential coming into the league. I don't know if I personally thought he was going to be that good of a playmaker year one, like especially what we saw out of the first two months. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not that the first two months were bad, but like, you know, I I would say that Jaden Ivey is like certainly evolved as a playmaker from from game one to now. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Just quickly, um, so I, I took a look at. I wrote an article last week, just taking a look at the, a ten game sample of when he got handed the keys as the primary initiator, and I think he had fifty four turnover, uh, fifty four assists, like twenty eight turnovers total, but which on paper doesn't look great. But I went back and watched every single one. And about 10 of those turnovers, 10 to 12, were from um, him mishandling the ball with his dribble or they weren't attributed to, like, bad passing decisions. So his passing, if you've been watching the games like we all have, you see the improvement. If you just come and look at the box score, you probably don't. But, yeah, he's made some really impressive strides and, like, he's looking to pass a lot more now on drives um, and – which is perfect because the beauty of Jaden Ivey is his first step. Like he'll blow by that first line of defense every single time. There's not many that can stay in front of him. And if now that he's looking to pass more, that's where you see those drop-off passes to Wiseman um, or he's hitting cutters. So yeah, his playmaking, that's been like a real bright spot the past couple of weeks. And he's shown flashes of something that, that, that I think Cade does really well. I think SGA is like elite at, you know, like he, he, he has flashes of games where Jaden Ivy is only making the right basketball decision. Like there, like there are nights where, you know, he had, where he doesn't force a single shot. He doesn't force a single pass. Like every single decision that he, that, that, that he makes is based on the flow of the game. If like, there are also times, however, where Jaden Ivy you know, knows his athleticism, knows like, you know, like he, he wants to go out and try and ball. Sometimes he can be over eager and he can go and, and try and drive to the hoop, completely fall on his ass. <laughs> you know, there's the possession, right? So like my, like, you know, that's, that's the thing with like young players is figuring out how to do things on a night to night basis. But if, if Jay Nivey can get to the point where he's, you know, where he's in that mode each and every night, I mean, guys, like all-star all-star ceiling is is just the beginning. Yeah. He's special. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to bring up Killian for a second uh, just to talk about that because I think the role he's in now, is in, as unfortunate as it is to watch him struggle, I think the big thing you would take away is, you know, this role he's in now, it's it's going to be even different next year when K gets back. And, and I think going to the bench would probably be best for him. But it's just unrealistic to have him in that Cade role for him to play well. Like, it's just not it's not going to be his role moving forward. This is a role he's going to have to get more comfortable in playing more off ball. I mean, even if he comes off the bench next year and you have Cade and you have Ivy, those guys are going to play together at times. Like, he, he's going to have to learn to play off ball. So if his shot, if he's struggling, you know, from three or, or, or struggling playing off ball, that's an issue. Like, you even look at guys like, just to bring up an example, Marcus Smart, for example. I mean, a guy who couldn't shoot coming into the league. What he learned throughout his time and being in the league for so long, he's developed uh, the ability to play off ball with mm-hmm. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I'm like, as great as a defender as he is, what makes him great is he, he can play off of those guys and still play well and handle the ball and take turns. So that's that's the step for Killian is, is really being able to play off ball. And you haven't seen it, uh, but you got hope for the kid because we all do root for him. Yeah, and the difference between a guy, like I'm glad you bring up Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart, you talk about who he is as a player. Mentally, Marcus Smart is fearless. You know, that's yeah. a guy that, you know, you 
yeah, you throw them into whatever situation you throw them in, like, you throw them into a wolf pack. You, know, you tell them like, Hey, you're going to be our 12th guy coming off the bench. Like, Hey, you're going to be starting 48 minutes a night. Like, yep. Whatever you need me to do, coach, I'll go in, I'll defend insanely hard. I'll do my job, do whatever it takes to win. Right. Like that's just who he is. He like, no one deters Marcus smart. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Whereas with Killian, we've seen, you know, the mental aspect of the game and, you know, we've seen he has everything physically to be a great NBA player. We have never questioned the physical aspect of Killian's game, but it's the mental things that, you know, that, that stumble. And it's when he makes mistakes on the offensive end, those can, those can lead to mistakes on the defensive end. He can get in foul trouble. He can do a lot of these things. And now, you know, we get to a point where, you know, Killian's not necessarily shooting at a high volume right now, but since since February 3rd, so since the month of February, Killian's been averaging 7.2 points, 6 assists, 2.3 turnovers, shooting 28% from the field and 23% from the three-point um from the three-point strike. Yeah, you're you're not I mean, making guys, so many rotations. Yeah, like that. Right. Right. Guys, and you you got to shoot the ball. You got to be able to shoot the ball at a high efficiency. <laughs> I mean, guys, like what, what, what have we talked about with Killian for like, like almost like, like Troy, you and I almost like two years now, he's just got to be NBA level offensively, man, just NBA level, just be average median. If Mm -hmm. he's that Killian has a job in this league for 10 plus years at the minimum. And, and that's got to be in different roles. Like, that's the most important thing for, I mean, even any NBA player, guys that stick around for a while, you're able to adjust, even if you're not an all-star player, to, to be able to adjust in different roles and play at a high level. Like, for Killian, that's why I don't have a problem. I mean, yeah, I, I hate to watch him struggle, but for him to be in this role for the rest of the season, much more realistic for next season. Like, that's why I don't mind him being able to play more off-ball because he's going to have to get used to it either way. So I, I would much rather have that than uh, putting the ball in his hands and the next year just taking it out being like all right figure it out like Mm -hmm. i I don't think that would suit him well either yeah guys what's marvin bagley's role where where where's his spot in all this because it's so interesting you know i i I read the article you know on uh james i was the third did on Cade and what he's been doing since he you know since he's been injured it talks a lot about how active he's been on the sidelines and one thing that that's kind of snuck in there is a quote where you know, Dwayne Casey talks about how both Marvin and Cade have been really active and how they both haven't, you know, been mentally sidelined or how they haven't been, you know, really sidelined at all. You know, and like with Marvin, he looked, you know, in game one, he looked energy wise, like ready to go. He looked, you know, hungry to be on the court. A lot of people are like, oh, he looked mad that the Pistons traded for Wiseman. I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. I saw it as a guy that was mad he missed as much time as he did and, and a guy that wanted to just build some momentum and, you know, get this new chapter going strong, you know, but at the same time, you know, we've seen with Marvin Bagley, it's, it's a night to night thing. You know, he was, he does that in his first night back now, 10 minutes in, he's got four points, five rebounds, two of five from the field. Like it's just another, you know, kind of like Marvin Bagley's kind of their night, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and especially with James Wiseman, which, by the way, uh, 14 minutes in, he has 16 points. So that's that's another thing to point out. Uh, what in the heck is is the plan there? You know, it's it. You know, we it's it's such an unknown with James Wiseman. Like he, I could see him, I could see him being traded. You know, on draft day, I could see him. You know, being our backup big next year. You know, like I, there's so many different ways it could go, but. 
at the same time, now, you know, there's just this plethora of, of talent in the front court and two guys in particular, there was this clip that was posted of Wiseman and Bagley both going for like a left hook against Toronto. And it was like, someone posted that it was like the Spider-Man pointing meme guys. It's uncanny. It's uncanny how similar it is. And I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are. Uh, yeah. I, and that was the funny thing too. And I think that's why I was initially so for, this is before I really sat down and thought about the trade. I was frustrated initially because I didn't, I, I had to take time to really understand it because the first thing I brought up is what, what does this fit look like with Marvin Bagley? Because we know what Marvin is. He can't shoot. He can't shoot uh, from three and he's not a great defender. So it, Marvin is in this area of you like the potential, but he hasn't really displayed it for a long period of time to where you kind of trust what you're getting with Marvin Bagley. And then he goes out the other day and has, you know, almost 20 and 20. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, so Marvin is good. Like you're, you're kind of teetering with it. That's why I think Marvin's future in Detroit, if I had to say him or Wiseman, I, I do think Wiseman's a great example because the more I thought about it, two things teams want in this league, first round picks, good young players. Wiseman is going to be a guy teams are going to call on if, if someone's available. So he's worth it in that area. Bagley, even the contract extension he signed three for 30, like it's, it's actually not a bad deal. It, it's, it's a deal that you could probably flip if you were to trade Bagley. Uh, but I actually don't really mind it. I think a lot of them playing together and Jack brought this up in the first topic we talked about is seeing how Wiseman Bagley Duran, those guys can play together. I know Duran's hurt right now, but when he gets back, to kind of know what you're getting, um, if this is something you're interested in, or does one of them have to go? Like that's that's part of the decision that Troy's going to have to make. But again, I, I I've always been mixed feelings about Bagley. Like I'll, I'll see things I really like, and then I'll watch games where I I really hate. I mean, even early in the season when when Dwayne had him starting at center, I'm like, no, Dwayne, no, don't start him at center, please. <laughs> and now we're you know late in the season, and you're seeing some positive things from Bagley, but. If I had to put, you know, a hot seat on on Bagley or Wiseman, it's clear as day. I mean, we're all watching Bagley more so. I mean, Wiseman's shown some flashes. He's still a young guy, like Troy brought up, still has as to play. I mean, he was the first time playing against the Celtics a couple weeks ago, like two weeks ago. So he's still young. Bagley, on the other hand, like I, I think the leash is a little shorter with Bagley, but we'll see. We'll see what the yeah. offseason looks like. Yeah, for sure. Which, by the way, uh, this is the clip that I was talking about. This, these are uh, both in the second quarter. Uh, for whatever reason, the internet isn't going to let me do it. So I guess we're not going to show it anyway. Go find it later. A it's a really funny clip where That's literally James yeah. Wise and Marvin Bagley do like the exact same move in the same quarter. It's like I, I had to like clean my glasses and go, huh? <laughs> it's just, it, it's crazy. But I, I do agree with you, especially like, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, James Wiseman. I think a lot of people thought that we were just getting Darko Milicic reincarnated. You know, I remember I, you know, when I when when I initially saw the trade, I believe I called it Marvin Bagley to Electric Boogaloo. But obviously, <laughs> I think that was a bit premature. In reality, you know, like James Wiseman was not given much of an opportunity in Golden State, whether it's because of health, whether it's because of circumstances with them wanting to contend. It's pretty clear that James Wiseman, you know, he and even when he was playing. He was asked to do a very specific role and fill a very specific niche thing that the Warriors needed. When in reality, in Detroit, he's just allowed to experiment and play his game and go out and get better on a night-to-night basis. And Jack, you actually wrote an article, you know, you do these really good articles, you know, 313 Thoughts on uh, D- on Detroit Bad Boys, and you talk quite a bit about his play so far. And I think, you know, I think he's shown so far that a lot of the criticism was, you know, quite unwarranted in the fact that we don't know 
a whole lot about what this guy can be. Yeah, for sure. I think with Wiseman, the Wiseman-Bagley comp, I think that primarily comes from the fact they're both second overall picks. They're both left-handed. There is some similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. <clears throat> and I think with Wiseman, I sort of highlighted in that article today um, with Detroit playing big, so in their past three games, they have played big on the interior. Like, their rebounding's up, their defense around the rim's up. So I guess it's working in that sense. Um, just with the, the Marvin Bagley thing, I think the issue a lot of people have with trying to figure it out is Detroit now have three bigs who can't really play together. Three of mm-hmm. the four bigs that can't really play together. Isaiah Stewart's the sort of the key guy that can play alongside all three, but the Wiseman, Bagley, and Duran can't really play them together. So I think that's where people struggle. Um, but I think, yeah, Bagley, that's, I, I don't really have an answer for what that, that's sort of what I want to see these last 20 games is how, how he's, like what lineups he's in. Do they play him alongside Wiseman? Like they might be tonight. I haven't um, watched any of the game, obviously. But um, yeah, he's definitely the odd man out. So it's going to be really interesting in the off season. Like Jeff mentioned, he does have a tradable contract. He is that player you could put in a trade for a veteran mm-hmm. back. Um, that 12 to $13 million range, that's a nice contract to have on your books for trades. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Definitely yeah. keeping an eye on that. Yeah, for sure. With Marvin Bagley, you know, it, it is interesting because a year ago when Troy Weaver signed him to that contract, it's pretty clear that, you know, he he had Marvin Bagley in the plans. Like he was a part of what we're doing coming forward. But it's, you know, this it, it's a pretty abundantly clear lesson that plans can change pretty quickly. And whether it's because of, you know, whether it's not even to the fault of the player's own, like because with Marvin Bagley, it's really just been he just can't get on the court on a consistent basis. That's right. just been the problem ever since he's been a piss. And when he has, he's shown flashes, but that's the thing. It's just all, it's just been all about consistency. When he's been on the court, he hasn't produced the same thing on a night to night basis. You kind of wonder which Marvin Bagley you're getting. And then you kind of wonder on a night to night basis, if you're going to be able to get him at all. And when he's going to be on the, on the IR again. So I hope he does get some, you know, some stretch to, you know, put together something consistent this season and I hope we get to see a little bit more of where Marvin Bagley's game's at because I mean there were points you know when he was playing against Toronto like when he was carrying the ball up in the open court like the vision's there man like of like what he could be like it's not hard to see why Sacramento selected number two overall because if he's that big who can like who can handle the ball and go up and down the court and just bring it to the hole. And like, if you can have that guy coming off your bench as like a scoring, like a sixth man scoring big, like that can be value. But at the same time, if James Wiseman can do that, but be better on the defensive end and also be cheaper, I'd rather have that too. (laughs) And just another testimony to show how important these last 20 some games are of the season. And, uh, but I, I think your opening statement, Sean, of either getting traded on draft night or, you know, a solid rotation piece next season, I, I don't really see a third option. I think you kind of nailed it with those two scenarios um, and just seeing which one Wiseman. happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. And with our, listen, with RJ Hampton, uh, you know, really quickly on him, I don't, I don't see him as someone that's in the long-term plans. I think it's an, I think it's someone that we're taking a flyer on down the stretch of the season. You look at what he did in Orlando. I'm not saying that he's a bad player, but you know, I'm not sure 
about the ceiling on RJ Hampton. He was given a good amount of chances in Orlando, but I mean, another intriguing young prospect to, you know, to give a chance and see at least where he's at right now. And, you know, if there is things that Detroit likes going forward, what were your guys' thoughts? I, I just like more competition. I mean, I think that's the number one thing, too, is guys getting complacent. Like, if you bring in R.J. Hampton, it's not even about what he has potential-wise, because I agree with you, Sean. I don't, I don't think he'll be a part of the, the future. But just having a guy out there that is just as hungry, that if you're not playing well, R.J. will play. And he, he's hungry. Guy wants to just have a future in this league. So from that standpoint, I love it. But if we're talking R.J. Hampton as a player, I mean, it's funny because you look back at the high school rankings, you have R.J., Isaiah Stewart, like guys that were top of their class, but this is the NBA. This isn't high school anymore. So what can you do for me now? I'm not too confident, you know, R.J. will be a part of the future, but more guys that want to compete, I love it. It's kind of like the Diallo thing. Like, I love Diallo because you know what you're getting out of Diallo. If you give him 20 minutes a night, dude's going to play his absolute ass off. So we'll see what R.J. has. I mean, he's got a, a stretch of the season to show it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot to add from what Jeff sort of just outlined, but I think I'm cool with taking flyers on, you know, relatively big guards that can sort of get up and down the floor, a bit of speed, a bit of athleticism. I know, like, the last 20 games, this is the time to see if he can do anything. There's, yeah. plenty, there's ample minutes available, like we've seen with the players out tonight. I, pre- I mean, I can assume yeah. we're going to have many nights like this across the next couple of weeks. I personally can't wait to see the lineup that uh, that is trotted out against the Rockets on April 1st. So um, I think there's going to be some serious G League lineups that night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, with RJ, yeah, I'm cool with taking a flyer and just seeing what he's got and yeah. a bit of competition. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people get confused and go, why are we taking on all these reclamation projects? But I think another thing to consider, you look at all these rebuilds throughout the league, Utah, Oklahoma City, Orlando, even Houston, uh, even, you know, even Brooklyn was able to get some draft capital back with everything that they just traded. What did the Pistons start their rebuild with? Like, like who, like Bruce what, Brown, <laughs> yeah, like, like what first round, like, like what all-star caliber player did they have to go get a well of picks to start their, to start their rebuild? They Our biggest have trading asset was Luke Kennard. Yeah, that, that was their, their best assets were Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard. And the reality of it is that's not a that's not a conducive way to start a, a super fruitful rebuild. And the fact that we have as much talent as we do in a three-year basis, given the fact that we've essentially had to scrounge and come up with ways to get multiple picks is an accomplishment. It really is. But the reality of it is to, you know, to expect that it's just going to flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know, turn a corner overnight like a lot of people did before this season. It's just not practical, right? But, you know, at, at, listen, at, at the end of the day, again, with, with RJ Hampton, there, there's a lot, you know, I, I get there's a lot to like there from a prospect standpoint. You know, a lot of people were intrigued with him. We'll see what he can do. And, and like you guys said, like, you know, it, it encourages competition. And again, when you have all these reclamation projects, you're trying to create assets. You're trying to create, you know, opportunities and essentially create assets that you can trade, you know, for essentially create first round picks and things that you can trade in packages to go get a star someday, go get value and build that in your roster. Because I mean, that's really what you do when you don't have value, you have to create value. Right. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a, I, I know it's a complicated thing, but 
you know, at the end of the day, I don't think we'll be taking on too many reclamation projects too much longer. And I have a feeling that we won't be really shooting for the lottery next year, seeing with the, with the amount of talent we're going to have on this roster going into the next season, but also seeing that I've heard this, uh, this upcoming, uh, this next year's draft class be called the worst high school class in about 25 years. So that's cool. I'm not sure if you've heard that at all, Jack, but I've heard this upcoming Uh, class is not the Wemby class. Yeah, I've heard it's, uh, there's not a lot of talent there. Um, I mean, Bronny James is in the draft, so I guess it's going to get a lot of attention. Uh, Wouldn't that be something if the Pistons drafted Bronny James and (laughs) LBJ comes to the Motor City? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I, yeah, from everything I've sort of briefly heard and read, there's a, yeah, it's definitely not like the 2023 class. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, again, I, I even saw Ashton tweet, no excuses next season, which I think we all kind of are in alignment and in agreement that, you know, I think, you know, with, with everything reported and, and kind of, you know, from the beginning, this uh, this next season was always when the team was shooting to take that next leap and to take that next step. And if the Pistons end up with the top three odds, they're going to have a 27.5% chance to end up with either Victor Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson. And if they end up in that place, they're going to be in a good spot. They really are. But, guys, another team that's going to be in contention to get one of those players is the Houston Rockets. And I brought them up a little bit earlier, and I know we talked about them before in the season that they're having. But guys, it somehow keeps getting worse. They just allowed 71 points to Damian Lillard the the other night. And unlike when Donovan Mitchell scored 71 earlier this season, Dame was able to do it in regulation. Donovan Mitchell needed overtime. And, And this... This Houston Rockets roster, man, like I, I I went into a Twitter space right after the game and I was just listening to these Rockets fans. And let me tell you, man, I I feel so, so bad for these fans. You know what you know what it feels like? It feels like a daycare run by a college student. That that's yep. what it feels like over in Houston. A daycare ran by a frat house. Yeah, like that it, again, Steven Silas, not to disrespect him, but I'm gonna disrespect him. Like I watching the Houston Rockets and I can't imagine, I mean, obviously the Pistons suck. So I can't even, we can't even talk, but from a competitive standpoint, like I've been saying, and we've been saying on this podcast, I hate to fit in the backcourt. Number one, hate it. Kevin Porter. I I absolutely hate it so much. Jalen green for him to succeed. You got to get him somebody that's solely there to create for him. Like a a guy that wants him to succeed, not two guys that are shoot first dominant ball, you know, ball dominant guards. And that number two, that don't play defense, by the way, along with that. It's just, it's a horrible fit. The roster is a disaster. I like some players on the roster, but that's what happens when you don't have veterans in the building, like adults in the room. Like that's a big part of it. The Pistons have a couple of those guys. And of course you have Dwayne, who's the adult of the adults. So um, that's why looking at Houston, listen, I know our records are similar, but very different situations. I'll say Well, again, like, you know, with the Pistons is like, if you watch these two teams play, it's like the Pistons at the very least, they have a system. They go out on a night to night basis and they try to compete. Like, even if they don't have all of their guys out there, like they're going to give their best effort and give their best foot forward. Like Dwayne Casey, it's fiery. Like he, like he, like he's into the games. And he also, 
you know, like as as we've said, like there hasn't been outbursts, there haven't been you know problems that have arisen. Whereas in Houston, all there has been have been problems and things coming up and latest chapters in this saga. And you know, for a team to you know now you know allow another crazy you know performance, like there's there's just a growing list of players who have put up crazy stats against the Houston Rockets. And it's like, you know, when you have a rebuild where, you know, the, where guys are only getting worse, where the momentum is going down, where, where the uh, morale's at an all time low, no, like Victor Wimanyama isn't going to come in and just make this awesome overnight. No, they need scoot. That's what they need. Oh, they, oh, they need, they, I mean, they need, they need their GM to scoot. They need, they need their coach to scoot. They need a lot of scoot. Man, I tell you what Houston need. And there's two things that come to mind whenever I watch the Rockets or think about the Rockets is like, there is no leadership. Like, I mean, on court, you know, that's the thing with Kate that's underrated is his leadership. Like from day one, like, one of the intangible things that people loved about Cade is he was like, he's a man. Like he is someone, he's a leader of men. And like, yes, that's a overused phrase, but he really is for someone that age. Like when he's on the court, he supports his teammates. He directs them off court. He's a leader. He's a spokesman for the team. And then you surround him with players like Kojo, Rodney Magruder's everyone's favorite teammate. Um, they've had guys like Kelly Olini come through. There's other veterans I'm missing out on. But when you look at this Rockets team, Jalen Green is, from everything I've heard and seen, not really going to be that guy. Um, yep. Shangoon, I'm not sure. I don't think he's a leader from what I've seen. Kevin Port Jr., no. Yeah. Jabari Smith. Shangoon's the one that has the most potential of, what, of, of yeah. what's been shown. But again, he's not exactly going out there putting a clinic on the defensive end either. Yeah. And so – and then, then you get to the coaching and Steven Silas, look, I'm sure there's things he's done correct, but he, the only veteran he had this season was Eric Gordon, who's now gone. So and didn't want to be there he, from day one. Yeah. Who correct. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think I ever saw him crack a smile. So, like, <laughs> and then you look at the GM, like, it's just, it just feels like there's no leadership. And then you've got your owner out in public saying, pray for Victor. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, I guess it's funny, but at the same time, well, when your team's doing this poorly, it just looks like so bad. I don't want to. Well, I'm professional, like yeah. And so then, bad. sorry, just to finish my little rant. And then the oh, other thing is, you look at their drafting, and it's like I still think Jalen Green and Jabari Smith can be great players in this league, but you took Jalen over Evan Mobley. That's tough. And then even Franz Wagner would have been awesome correct. for them. I mean, even Scotty, like who knows? So, and then this season, I mean, they took the right guy at that position at the time in Jabari Smith, but, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to get Parlo or potentially Chet. I think Chet was always OKC, okay, but you, you know what I mean? So it's just a tough situation. So, and I'm not saying the Pistons, they're drafting, everyone's going to turn into stars because the likelihood is they won't. But I just think the leadership there is just, it's hard to watch. Right. Well, I think I think you've seen, you know, with with Tom Gores, an owner who's matured and an owner who's evolved. 
you know, like there's, you know, there, there were, you know, like we all know the incidents, you know, like with, like, you know, like the post game interview with Andre and things like that, but like in all seriousness, like Tom Gore's evolved as an owner and as a person, like he, he, like he changed his style of leadership. He, you know, he changed his approach of how he wanted this team to, you know, to proceed. And he, he gave the, the, the right people, the, the keys and the direction to go forward. Whereas with the Houston Rockets, when Tillman Fertitta came in and bought the Houston Rockets, you know, it was in the midst of, you know, Houston's, you know, like Houston's run they were on. And then all of a sudden, you know, they went and just traded for Russell Westbrook. They've just been scrambling and making moves each and every off season. They fired Mike D'Antoni and they were trying to find a coach to come and replace and like re kind of reboot this Houston thing. But then, you know, James Harden forced was forced out. I mean, Steven Silas came to coach Russ and James Harden. That's where that's where he came right, in. So right. he was never a coach that was seen as a rebuilding coach. He's known he was known as a well-respected assistant, a guy who's been in NBA locker rooms for years. Obviously, his dad was really well-respected, but he's not a program builder. He's not he's not a developer of players, and it's very clear that the the lack of 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 that of that vision and that leadership from the top down. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I don't want Victor Wimbanyama to go to Houston because I'm rooting against them. I'm saying I'm weary of a guy like Victor Wimbanyama going to Houston because I don't want to see his career be in jeopardy because of that environment. And the environment that's, that's, that's currently there is not conducive to an all time great career, let alone even just being an all-star. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think leadership's the biggest thing. I think you nailed it, <clears throat> uh, Jack. I, I think that's the big thing because Jalen green isn't a leader. We know that. And who are you looking at besides Jalen green? Like th that's the thing when you look at a head coach and that's why I'm so hard on Steven Silas. I mean, I, I don't know the guy personally, but you, you it's not just Steven, on lunch. It's, it's what, yeah. Yeah. We could go. And even dating back to Steven's rant in the post game press conference where he pounded the table and he's like, get, he got up, you know, was frustrated. That was like a month ago, two months ago. And then look at the other night, like right. Sangoon got benched in the fourth quarter because they could, they kept putting him in pick and rolls. And to be honest with you, if you watch the game, it wasn't even completely his fault. Like it was the rest of the players, but Sangoon got benched for that. So it's, it's accountability. It's a lot of different things. And again, that's why you have Kate. I think Jack nailed it. And Eric Gordon too was a guy that I thought provided some sense of stability in that locker room to a degree, but with him gone, I mean, he kind of had to move on the contract stuff, but um, I, I think they're lacking something now even more without Eric Gordon in that locker room. Right. Well, again, you know, like they, they lost, you know, like not only was like, you know, Eric Gordon, a super vital piece for them, but, PJ Tucker was a, was a very vital, you know, veteran for them in that locker room as well. And, you know, like they, you know, like ever, ever since, you know, they, you know, that they started losing games, you know, and that, that John wall Christian wood season really fell apart. This rockets thing has just been a circus, man. And I, I have a feeling that, you know, whoever, like wherever they end up in the lottery order, like, especially if James Harden goes back, can you imagine a world where Jalen Green and James Harden are in the same locker room? It doesn't. I can't fathom that, Sean. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a possibility, and that is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I, just, I sort of get why Rockets fans are, would be ex 
excited by that prospect, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm not even talking from a timeline. Well, yeah, because it's an awesome 2K team. Because they need a new – you would assume they're going to get a new coach, and that new coach will probably be like a developmental coach, like maybe a Kenny Atkinson, someone like that. Like, mm-hmm. do you really want like a 33-year-old All-NBA player coming in, taking – I don't know. I just yeah, because to your to your I, point, Zach, you talk about leadership. Like James Harden is going to yeah. be your leader. Like okay, all right, interesting. Uh, nothing against James as a player, but still, that's not the guy. You just handed the keys to Jalen Green, and now you're saying, "All right, let me get those keys back." Here you go, Harden. You can have yeah, the hand key. the like, keys. Just go. Well, <laughs> like you're dangling over Green's head. You're like, well, yeah, I'm going back to like that's all. That's a bad look within itself, to be honest with you. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how Harden's leadership is is the answer here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, it's just a signal that that team's just they're they're just they're they're desperate. Yeah. And you know, when when it, when an organization makes moves from a place of desperation, it never goes well. And, you know, I think that's just, you know, again, I, it's, it's important to high, I, I highlight these things and I talk about these situations because when people look at the Pistons and, and when they have rough losses and go, man, we're down bad. I'm like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but believe me, it is, there is much worse. <laughs> and I mean, much worse out there. It's like it's like a relationship. You're like, well, honey, you, you look at their relationship though. Like, look how bad they're they're down bad. Like, we're not that bad. Like, it, that, come on, guys. It's like, yeah, you could be dating Chris Brown. Anyway, so we're talking about Atlanta now. Um, yeah, I'm going to hell for that one. Anyway, uh, Atlanta Hawks. So Sadiq Bay has had three coaches. In two weeks, that's got to be a record, by the way. <laughs> that's uh, and that's just that's just the Atlanta Hawks. That's not counting. That's not counting the Pistons because he got there. He played. He played one game before the All Star break with Nate McMillan as his head coach. Nate McMillan gets fired. Uh, you know, a couple days before the end of the All Star break, he plays two games with the interim head coach, and now. Quinn Snyder has officially been introduced as the Atlanta Hawks head coach. Guys, I believe four coaches in one month. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Four coaches in one month. Guys, I believe we talked about Quinn Snyder as a possibility for that job. I do think he was the best coach for that job, but guys, I think it's going to come back to the same thing we've talked about before. They can bring in whoever the heck they want for the, for the head coaching position is Trey Young going to buy in now? Like, that's my question. Yeah. It, it makes me think, too, maybe DeJounte Murray is, is good as, as great of a player as he is. Maybe he's an insurance policy. Maybe he's an insurance yeah. policy on the future with Trey Young. Like, you, you don't know what his future holds. You got DeJounte Murray. Uh, but, yeah, there's – Atlanta, to me – and this is why we – it kind of goes back to what we talked about with, with having a veteran – just veteran leadership in general. And Trey and DeJounte aren't veterans, but when they had the intermed coach, I believe they won that game, if I'm not mistaken. Just because yeah, they were two and oh, they were two and oh with the with the interim head coach. There you go. And by the way, to Sadiq Bay's credit, love the role he's in. Uh he hasn't taken more than 10 shots in any of the games he's played for the Hawks so far. He's 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 just playing a role, and that's what he's asked to do, and he's playing it well. So I'm happy for him. I mean, even in Atlanta, you get Quinn Snyder, he's gonna ask them to play defense, and I'm curious with Trey Young how that fit's gonna go, but uh, yeah, this is the best coach on the market. I think we agreed there. Besides Ime Adoka, but this is a guy that has no past, uh, no controversial past for bringing him in. So I think it's a great move. Yeah, I think 
I, I do think this could potentially be a, you know, a, a place for Sadiq to refocus his development and his game, because I think at Detroit, he was trying to, you know, focus more on his isolation game and, you know, on like handling the ball, but like, guys, let's be honest alongside Trey young, like, first of all, just Trey young alone. Sadiq's not going to have the ball for more than five seconds of shot clock. <laughs> throw, in, throw Jante Murray in there as well. I yeah. mean, this offense is not, it isn't designed, you know, for Sadiq to have the ball for extended periods of time. But also, guys, I was hearing uh, rumblings that Sadiq Bay was wanting an extension of over $20 million a season, right. like a season. Yeah. And hearing that, listen, I love Sadiq. But. There's levels to this, and what we're talking about, given that, given that cheddar cheese, like throwing out the bag. I mean, guys, we, we got to manage our salary cap wisely, and with the with the trajectory that we saw, I just don't know if Sadiq is is worth that money. You you think Stan Van Gundy would already sign that sign that deal? Oh, he'd be licking his lips. He's like, I found your new number two. I love it. No, it has something to do with Sadiq as a, I mean, we love Sadiq as a person, but yeah, yeah. you're talking contractually that new, new. And I still, and I still think highly of him as a player. It's just when you're talking about who you want to sign long-term and, and and also just listen, Troy Weaver's just drafted too well. The guy's just bringing in too many good players. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to overpay for Sadiq Bay now and then potentially have the opportunity to lose a guy like Jalen Duran later. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, I think with Sadiq, I actually think him going to the Hawks was a better fit than the Warriors, just with the way Sadiq plays. I, I think on the Warriors, he could have maybe struggled, just with the way they like to move around on offense. And there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts in their offense. It's not like the Pistons, obviously. <laughs> but yeah. um, so I think yeah, like when you look at Sadiq, he's pretty much taking 50, like half of his shots now from three. I think alongside mm-hmm. Trey, like for all the stuff, the bad stuff surrounding Trey, like he's going to find Sadiq a ton of open shots on the oh, yeah. court. Um, and just with the uh, the Quinn Schneider uh, hiring, I think I, I'm really looking forward to see what he can do. You know, he had a high usage guard in Donovan Mitchell and Donovan definitely excelled under his coaching. And then um, you've got bigs like um, Okongwu. Sorry if I pronounced that uh, wrong. Yeah, and Capella, yeah. who like and, yeah, so and I then, think uh, Yeah, and then they've got some interesting wings. So I think that's a good hire for Atlanta. I really wanted Quinn Schneider at Detroit if Dwayne Casey decided to retire slash move on. But um yeah, I'm, it's I think Sadiq's in the perfect role. Um and this is the role where he can like excel. Maybe not twenty two million a season, but he might he you know, he could be around that ten to fifteen million. Um, Mark in a role like this, where he's just shooting threes, playing some defense. So, yeah, that'll get you yeah. paid, by the way, in the league. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And you know, I I think you know, like with Trey Young, like yeah, like there's no doubt as a basketball player, like you know, his ability to play and make and find find guys for open shots. Sadiq is going to benefit from that without a doubt. And you know, I think being in a situation where he where his role is a little bit more defined, and in a situation where they are looking to win games like that could be a really good change for him and a good breath of fresh air. And, you know, like Quinn Snyder, he is like one of the better coaches in the NBA. I would argue a top, you know, at times a top five coach in this league. And so 
I think for the Hawks, this was a home run hire as far as if you're going to go hire someone midseason, go get the best guy on the market. They did just that. Again, I, you know, I, I have no questions about Quinn Snyder and what he's going to bring to the Hawks. I have no question or res- no, I don't have no reservations about what he's going to bring to the Hawks. Everything is going to come down to will, Tra- will Trey Young finally evolve? Will he finally take that next step? Because all reports suggest if you're like, I was hearing like, you know, listen to podcasts, you know, if you were to pull and, and ask the Atlanta Hawks, like, like whose side are you on in this Nate McMillan or Trey young majority of the guys aren't answering Trey. So that, that just from, just from what I'm hearing. So I, I would be fascinated to know what John Collins thinks of all this Mm. and, and where his head's been at. And, you know, I, you know, I just hope that, you know, finally they can have, they can start building some consistency there because I think this organization's just been, you know, just been floundering from the consequences of of trading away Luka Doncic. I mean, let's just call it what it is. That I, like, like I think we can all agree now that that was the wrong move. Right, is that right. fair to say? And just, just a little. What Luka is of a player and the future of Luka. I mean, Luka is getting better every year. Luka is a by far franchise player, and I'm not saying Trey doesn't have the potential to be that, but. If you if you if we could redraft that draft, and I know Sean redrafting it gets overrated in, in today's NBA fandom, but right. I I just think Luca is it's not a even that, that, well. Obviously, how amazing Luca is makes it makes it terrible. But like the thing that makes it that much worse is the fact that the pick that you got in return, you went out and used to get who Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish, <laughs> and it's it's what Cam Reddish turned into. If they could. If they if they could have gone and gotten another piece to put around Trey Young that could that could potentially you know make take this thing to another level, we're having a whole different conversation. But they got a they got a bust and a player who is all star level. But do you think he's ever going to be the best player in a championship team? Mm. Do you think he's ever going to be the second best player in a championship team? Do you even Maybe. think he's going to be the third best player in a championship? I I don't know. Like like again, like you could say that about li- quite literally any player in this league. But with the character with the character questions and and leadership stuff with Trey Young and the fact that he's now on his what fourth or fifth head coach in the league, I think it's a little bit more warranted to ask those questions. Is that yeah, fair to say? Yeah, yeah it's fair. Yeah. I think the thing with Trey is like I think the mold is there for success. Like you look at those run and gun sort of Phoenix teams in the 2000s with Steve Nash. Like, I remember the comparison for Trey was, people were saying Steph Curry, but the actual comparison was like a Steve Nash sort of on steroids with his scoring ability and just the sheer volume that he likes to score with. So I think, I know those Phoenix teams didn't win the title, but they're extremely close to making the finals. Like, there is some sort of blueprint there where you can have that smaller point guard, but I think it's on Trey to become more... I don't want to say unselfish, but I sort of think that is the right word. Like to be more like Steve Nash, he was never, I think he was around like 15, 16 points a game. Like, but he was just like a leader. Um, And that's something maybe you could question Trey on. Like, I don't think the locker rooms ever on his side is sort of Sean just touched on. Like even amongst the league, like I think in the player all-star vote, like I think he was way down the bottom and for someone of his talent that's, um, 
that's telling. I still think Trey can be that second best guy on like yes, uh, on a conference finals finals appearing team, maybe a championship team. Like I think sometimes we get a bit caught up in like, oh, can he be the guy on a championship team? Like let's be honest, like like how many championship teams are there? Like you can if Trey's gonna be if he can be that guy that can get you to the Eastern Conference Finals, that's pretty darn good. So I think any there's something within his attitude or something like that that needs to shift needs to become more of a leader or something like that because he's got the talent you know we saw him in that eastern conference finals year a few seasons ago like um you know he took down philly um so yeah and and he did that as the the best player he did that as the best player to your point jack so i think more of it and i like the steve nash comparison because steve the difference is steve is more self-aware i think we even though he still has one of Shaq's mvps at his house i think we can all understand that he just was more self-aware and that's what trey lacks like the self-awareness the you know the accountability uh the leadership everything you kind of hit on so i think that's next for trey we've seen flashes we've seen him take the hawks to an eastern conference finals but again, to get over that hump, I mean, you're there. And to your point, I mean, how many guys truly in the league we have that are number ones on a championship team? You probably need like three or yeah. four of them, maybe five. Uh, but again, Trey, I, I think I still have a lot of hope for him, but still, there's a lot of character things that he has to get sorted out. So, the reason why I just mentally got sidetracked and completely lost my train of thought was because sometimes I check Twitter and things just tend to happen while we're on the show. And this is okay. one of those situations where, yet again, Things happen while we're on the show. And in particular, the Detroit Pistons are playing the Charlotte Hornets and LaMelo Ball has left the game with what is an apparent non-contact injury. He did a crossover. He fell down. You can clearly see him screaming for pain and then clinching towards the middle to back of his ankle. And on Twitter, I saw a quote where apparently LaMelo said, it popped. I felt it pop. So, and these yeah, ball this, brothers can't catch a break. And by like, the way, this this isn't LeBron James. I heard it pop. Like this is like this is, and I love LeBron, but this is this might be something serious. Like I, yeah. I think LeBron's injury compared to this, it, that doesn't look good at all. Yeah, I I don't want to make any, um, you know, any presumptions, but you know, if that is if that's something with an A and ends with Achilles. That's not looking great. And like you said, man, the Ball brothers just can't catch a break. The the latest saga with Lonzo Ball, a guy we talked about, you know, about being out like over a little over a year ago and how, him being out for six to eight weeks, he still can't run without discomfort and pain. And doctors are now saying it's something unlike they've ever seen before. Yeah. I mean, makes guys, you, what is happening? What the it makes you wonder thing? is this, yeah, is it a genetic thing or I know I feel like I pay a lot of attention to them when they're at high school. Um, and it you, makes how many wonder, seasons like, of Ball in the Family did you watch, Jack? Be honest. Uh, hey, I, I'm yeah, be honest. I watched far too much. Yeah, yeah same here, dude. Same, same here. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's it was more on, than one for me. I hate to say it. I, yeah. I don't know about watch you guys, Google. but it was on like Facebook over here. That's how I was watching yeah. it. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it was on Facebook, Facebook for us too. Yeah. yeah. What a time, but I don't know if they had like some unconventional training with LeVar. Like I got no issues with LeVar and like there was a lot of stuff at the time about him and how he's raised his sons. Like that's none of my business. And like he's raised three sons at tour in the NBA and one's on the brink or arguably on the brink in Jello. But um, yeah, it makes you wonder like what were their training regimes? Because these injuries, man, like 
if that is what we think it is, and starting with an A um, for Lamelo, that's some serious injuries. And Lamelo's had a ton of ankle injuries, and just I feel like he's been injury plagued. Um, he just hasn't yeah. had anything as serious to this point, and hopefully this injury isn't. Well, Lamelo's one of these guys where he is so gifted as a playmaker and as a shot creator, and sh- so shifty where his move with with his movement. It all, you almost wonder sometimes, like as shifty as he is, like what he was doing there, like, like you almost like wonder, like, is that a good move, like to make, like for your long term health, like to have those sudden, you know, stops and jolts on your ankles like that, like you know, you can you can dance, do a lot of like, like not to like sound too much like an old man or anything here, but like, I, and I and I'm not a doctor, but I can imagine. Like like stopping and going and continually like continually changing directions on your feet and on your ankles. You gotta imagine like at some point like something's gonna give, right? And especially if you're playing an 82 game stretch. I'm not sure what Lamelo's like training is or how hard he works on that end. I mean, you know, apparently the organization loves him, but you know, it's you know, it's just one of those things where I mean, the like I I'll be honest, like if he was in almost any other situation. I would have been way more optimistic on his career outlook. He's in Charlotte. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, and, 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 and I, and hoping this isn't anything bad, but if it's a, if it's indeed an Achilles injury, I mean, guys, this could get very bad, very quick. It's always, it's always worse when players, any player suffers an injury like this late in the season. Like that's the worst feeling in the world because now they're going to miss if it is Achilles, and we don't know yet, but if it is, he would miss majority of next season. So right. it's terrible, man. Really, yeah, is. yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, especially for guys like you know guards and you know like a, like a younger player like that missing that much time too. You know how how important his athleticism is to a, to his game. You wonder does he come back the same player? You know, again, we still have to learn what this even is. So this is all right. too much too soon and a lot of conjecture. However, you know, I I, I would be remiss. If I didn't bring it up, and I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, I'm sure we'll have a lot more information. And last year, All-Star. I mean, this is a guy that we know what he's capable of when he's firing in all cylinders. So to see this go down, you know, again, like like you guys both said, this is basically two full years in a lot of ways. Um, well, if, if next year he's out for a little bit, uh, that he would be out. Um, and that's just not good for a young player's development. And, and it's not a great thing. And I, I'm hard on Steve Clifford. Uh, I, I'm hard on a lot of coaches for some reason. But it's Steve Clifford, to, to you know, his kind of downfall is Lamelo this year, man. His minutes, like he's only played in like 30-something games. He's averaging almost 36 minutes a night. Like if we look at just his last stretch of games, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 39 minutes, 41 minutes, 38 minutes. Like for a team that stinks, and like, I get there's the All Star break in there, but like you're just like coming right out of the break hot like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like off his previous injury, he just came back from. Like, yeah, it's not. It's not the. It, yeah, it's not smart, but. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And again, you know, I listen. I I I was wondering why Steve Clifford was brought back in the first place. I say that every open opportunity I have, just because the the Hornets just don't have direction or don't really know what they're doing. You know, John, if I'm John Boyega, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at everything going on and I'm like, I mean, I wasn't doing that bad of a job. I, I, I at least got us to the play in games, but I mean, Hey, like, you know, this is just yet another, yet another stumble in the, in the life of the Hornets. 
but yeah that, but oh go ahead jack i'm sorry man i was just gonna say like i sometimes think i'm a dedicated pistons fan just from being over in australia but if you're a hornets fan like props to you because yeah man at least the pistons have a rich history like there's um there's I, I don't know how people are hornets fans like yeah, you, you went <laughs> like, through the bobcats era like yeah seven and 59 man yeah <laughs> i mean I mean, guys, let's play a game. Name five Charlotte Hornets. Go. I can name them. Adam Morrison, Boris Dayad, Gerald Wallace. I'm Kendall sorry. No, 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 no. Current. I'm sorry. You misunderstood oh. me. Name five current I'll try. Charlotte I'll try. Hornets. I like Mark. Go. Ball, <laughs> Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, P.J. Washington. Man, I'm at four, and I'm <laughs> I was going to say Mason Mark, Plumley, but Mark, he's gone now. Mark Williams? I like Mark, Mark Williams. Mark Williams. There we go. There's he, five. He was, I've been watching him just because I liked him before the draft. But, yeah, I, I don't pay That's too much attention to Charlotte. We cover the NBA, so, of course, we know the players. But it's – yeah, I, I get I get the point you're making, John. Listen, listen. That, but, like, we we are, are as dedicated as we are in the NBA. Like, I tune in all the time. I yeah. could hardly name five players on the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, guys – DJ Washington, Terry Rozier, JT Thor, Nick Richards, Dennis Smith Jr., Kelly Oubre Jr. is their second best player. Theo Maladon, James Booknight. Remember him? Yeah, oh James Booknight, yeah. Uh, hey, oh, hey, guys, Pistons legend, Svee Mikhailuk is a Charlotte yeah. Hornet. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Svee, the man from three. The guy yeah. I called, uh, I, I remember... I wrote an article on him uh, back in the day, and I called him. I called his ceiling a poor man's Clay Thompson. Uh, <laughs> and you weren't wrong, Sean. No, <laughs> I, I was hyped when we got him for that. I think it was in the Reggie Bullock deal. It was. That was yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we traded him for Hami to OKC. Yeah. That, that trade deadline, we're well, gearing up for the playoffs. We brought in. I think we got Svee, Thon Maker, and also we signed Jameer Nelson. Yeah. He- no, they yeah, recited Jameer Nelson too, didn't we? Not that. That was in 1780. Oh, that's right. Wayne that's Ellington. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, because Woj titled it. It was like the Pistons have won a significant recruiting victory in Wayne Ellington. He was like the gem of the buyout. I remember that. Year. that. We were we were all all in all having the expectation that the Pistons would go get Mike Conley at the deadline, and all we did was flip Bullock for speed. <laughs> I'm oh. still trying. I'm still trying to process a poor man's Clay Thompson. He, he's a he's a homeless Clay Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah no, I meant yeah. When I said poor, I meant poor. Like, like I didn't. I didn't mean like. He's I didn't mean college. <laughs> yeah, he's. Poor. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I didn't mean like you know. I didn't mean they're getting like a decent salary, might get health benefits. No, like this person's going to the shelter. And like, please, <laughs> I haven't eaten in days. Like, like this. Oh, like yeah. that's all. Yeah, no. broke, broke. You know, I get yeah, it. Broke. Yeah, exactly. But Troy, there's no way we got to end these episodes other than going from Mount Rushmore. And what do you have to end this episode for us today? Yeah, yeah. Gonna take a quick break on on uh, from Mount Rushmore. Uh, not really doing a series here. More having a conversation. Would love to hear conversations, uh, and I would love for each of the four of us to pick a player. Uh, this past year in the All-Star game, uh, 2023 All-Star. And I want to hear why you think that player, as far as in the going, the next couple of years in the future, is going to be the most intriguing. Now, you can define intriguing. 
But um, I'm going to find intriguing as I'm excited to see their legacy. I'm excited to see what they're going to be able to produce in the next five years. If they're able to win a championship, period. So, um, so, to, yeah. wrap, so, to, so to put a bow, yeah. the All-Stars future you're most excited for. There you go. There you go. You define it better than me. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start um, just because he's here in the city. I uh, hear about him all the time. Uh, Sean made a video dedicated to him, uh, 10 minute long. That's Tyrese Halliburton, guys. I, I think I'm very interesting to see. This is you know, year three with him, really uh, coming out party in year three. Uh, had great production in Sacramento, but now first year as a pacer. Definitely going to be the face of the franchise moving forward. And uh, Sean, I'm going to quote you, man. I, there's potential of a future MVP in him um i don't see that maybe in the next two or three years but potentially five years who knows but he's a guy that really is uh you know a big point guard i, I think indiana a struggling market to get free agents but also trades you know they have been in the finals before but they certainly haven't won a championship uh what pieces can you put around tyrese halliburton uh i would love you know 10 15 years down the line uh to to talk about the legacy of tyrese halliburton because man this guy's career could go in a lot of different directions. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And I think the you know I know the Sacramento Kings right now are are you know are bearing the fruits of a lot of success from that trade and are seeing the best season they've seen in a long time. I still think that they're going to rue the day that they traded Tyrese Halliburton. I, I really do. I know Demonis Sabonis has really been great for them, but Ty Tyrese Halliburton has looked fantastic. I'm personally going to go. And this might this might be a little bit of a boring answer, but I'm going to go with Nikola Jokic, a guy who more than likely is going to win his third straight MVP, a player who, for the first time in really three years, is going into the playoffs with a healthy roster. And you look at the roster that he has around him. I mean, guys like Octavius Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Like this is a roster of guys who can play ball, man. And like, and, and, and not only that, but this is a roster that's built for the playoffs Yeah. with Nikola yeah. Jokic. We've seen that he's a great regular season player, but it's just come down to not having the players around him to be able to make that push at the end of the season. Now he's got the help. It's as, it's as wide open of a Western conference as it's ever been. I would argue if there's a year for Nikola Jokic to go win a title, it's right now. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm I'm fascinated to see where we view him in the echelon of NBA players over yeah. the next five years. Because That's you know, he, he's he's always in the MVP conversation. He's he might be like other than LeBron, the greatest player as far as elevating the teammates around him. Like he just makes guys better. That's just what he does. Like I, I, I was, I was, um, I, I was listening to a video about the this rant that JJ Redick did about Nikola Jokic, just how dominant he is. And he brought up uh, Aaron Gordon is having his most efficient season ever. Contavious Caldwell Pope is having his most efficient season ever. Jamal Murray is having one of his best seasons ever. Uh, I believe. Uh, yeah, Contavious Caldwell, uh, Bruce Brown is having his most efficient season ever. Like guys just get better when they play with Jokic. And mm -hmm. he's a guy that, you know, he he puts up stats, but he never does it the pad pad stats, never does it for his individual resume. He's just going out there to compete and win games. Yep. And I I personally have a hard time 
seeing Jokic retiring without winning at least one or two. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to go with an obvious one too. Uh, but it's I I was trying to think of something creative, but I, I just need to be honest here. It's Luka Doncic. I mean, we look at the All Star game and we look at guys who are going to take the torch. Yeah, this is going to be a player that you know because again, five years for All Star games. He almost he has almost sixty career triple doubles. He's made multiple All NBA teams. Like you look at his five year stretch to his career. I mean, there's not too many guys that can duplicate that. So Luka, in my opinion, future MVP winner, multiple possibly as well. And just how great of a player he was coming into the league. I know we talked about him earlier in the, in the Hawks missing out on it. It's unbelievable what he can do. And I think it was um, ironic to now share an all-star game with now his teammate with Kyrie Irving. So I'm interested to see Luca's kind of career projection because talent wise, he's, he's good for a couple MVPs and a couple championships, but we'll see, we'll see how the, uh, the you know, kind of like how Dirk ended it one championship. I hope it doesn't end the same way for Luca, but he's a, he's an incredible player. So talk I- about a five-year stretch. It's unbelievable. I think Luca showed last off season or last postseason. You know, we we talked before about Luka Doncic. He had he had the potential to be the best player in the world. Luka Doncic has the potential to be a top ten player of all time. Oh, no yeah. question. Yeah, like no like like he showed like like the fact that he elevated his team and took them that far. And a guy like like the last guy that we saw at twenty three years old carrying his team through like through the playoffs that far is Michael freaking Jordan. <laughs> like it hasn't happened yeah. in a while, man. So like just the fact that this guy has been winning and has been, has been dominating like professional basketball since he was 17. Yeah. I mean, 16. Lucas. 16. and he yeah, plays 16. all year. He plays typically yeah. all year too. He plays in the summer. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Luca is crazy. Like I still remember watching his rookie season, like, yeah, I think it was 2018. And, like, you could just tell, like, the Mavs didn't make the playoffs, but they were, like, competitive. They were in games. And from day dot, Luca was, like, handling the ball. He was the guy. Dennis Smith Jr. was pushed to the side pretty quickly. Yeah, everyone but, was like, why'd they push but, him to the side? Yeah, and then once he had like, the ball more, it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly. why. And, like, but Luca, like, there's this presence about him. And, like, obviously we've seen how his career has played out the past five years. But from day one, like, you just knew this guy's, like, special. Like, at that size, just – he's so strong. Like, he's just got such, like, a thick frame. Like, he just moves guys around. Like, um, But, yeah, I guess uh, my pick would be SGA. um, Oh, yeah. Um, I'll be transparent. I have to look up all stars because, like, I just pay no attention. <laughs> but, like, I don't blame you. But like, um, I'm going with SGA, and like, I think he's having a breakout season. Um, I haven't looked at the odds or anything, but I assume he's a favorite for most improved. Potentially, I could be wrong, but um, he has to be. He has yeah. to be. He's already built with house. It's already yeah. If it, like, if it isn't him or Tyrese Halliburton, there is something yeah. wrong with this world. Yeah, for sure. And like, just seeing him, like. Um, you know, there's a lot of chatter about him, maybe like, and mainly by national media talking about him wanting a trade or he doesn't fit the timeline, all those sort of conversations. And to see him come out, like just, he's a shot maker. Like this guy, similar to like Luca and even Tyrese Halliburton, like these guys aren't insane athletes, but they just, they make shots. They're so creative. Mm-hmm. They're all yeah. pretty good passes. Um, and just with that Oklahoma city core, like it's really exciting. And, also, to be honest, like we want to talk about K comparisons. I personally see SGA as like there's a lot of similarities in the way they play. I um, when I when I watch fans like mm-hmm. sorry to cut you off, Sean, but like yeah, 
very similar players. They play at their own pace, very herky-jerky. Like, they get into the middle, like, teeth the defense and, like, up and unders. Like, they like to back their man down. Like, they're strong. And you've seen SGA take a leap defensively this year. And just there's so many parallels between him and Cade, in my opinion. Yeah. I, w- I was just going to say, I think he can, like, there's, there's, there's elements where I think Cade can be another level. And that's what excites me about SGA is, like, SGA is awesome. I'm like... I somehow think Cade can be even better. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like not like, yeah. and and that's crazy because like SGA is freaking awesome. Yeah, especially and, from three. I think. Oh, oh, oh yeah, and like mid-range. he's oh, killing it from the mid range. Oh, the mid range <laughs> assassin that he is too. But just also like you said, Jeff. Like when when he's wide open from three, he like he's rarely gonna miss. Like he, like he's he, like in in just I talked about a little bit earlier just how how slow the game is for him and how methodical he is with his playmaking with his shot selections like like he's not a, he's one of these guys where you just can't speed him up and you know you talk about how how much improved they've been this season just because of his play but then you have another playmaker like Josh Giddy around him then you're going to throw in a guy like Chet Holmgren into the mix now you're going to have even more picks to use and let's be honest they're not going to draft all those players you can use those in trades and get stars to put around like I mean, guys, in the next five years, Oklahoma City is going to be a powerhouse in the NBA again. Like, it's not far off. It's just not. Yeah, absolutely. And they've even in each of their tanking seasons, like they've always started the season well. It feels like, yeah. Like, and then they've obviously pulled all the stops out to, you know, fly to the bottom of the standings. But um, it always seems yeah, like after got... the All Star break, some injuries just really yeah. started to flare up. It's weird. <laughs> But um, yeah, okay. See, you got something pretty cool over there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Jack, thank you so much for joining, man, and, and making the time being on the pod. We love having you on, man, and uh, we're definitely going to be having you on more and more. Super excited that we're teammates, and you know we're working together at, at Detroit Bad Boys. Be sure you're everyone's following Jack on Twitter at Jack underscore Kelly underscore three one three. Also, be sure to follow my guys, Jeff. On Twitter at Jeff I Afraidy, my guy Troy at Troy Sergey forty four. Jack, anything else you want to say before we close up the pod? Oh man, as always, love coming on, chatting hoops with you guys. Always fun, always fun to talk some NBA as well. I normally just talk Pistons, so yeah, you know, man. You forget how you forget what like. There's so much good basketball out there when you're so focused on the Detroit Pistons. But oh, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> love chopping it up with you guys. So yeah, excited yeah. to come back on in the future. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, it's not a matter of if it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, man. I always tell you, but guys, that's going to do it for this episode of From Half Court. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, and follow all of us on social media so you're not missing any of the latest and greatest content coming to this channel. But with that, I want to thank you all for listening. We'll catch you guys next time from Half Court. Be sure you subscribe.